welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 319, recorded May 25th, Memorial Day, 2020. So today we're doing Star Trek Year 5, um, issues 7, 8, and 9. Wunderbar. These are fairly recent comics from the time that we recorded this, so it's kind of cool to, to get some of the newer stuff after we've been reading some you know, 70 stuff there the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's even better is, um, in general, this is high quality stuff. This is top shelf comic books, great artwork, very good writing. And I think you'll agree that the first five or six issues were good, but it's like, maybe there weren't all as good, at least as I hope they would have been. I, I enjoyed them. I thought they were good. But sure. now in these three issues, um, the setup is out of the way, and now it's ratcheting up. So we're getting a lot more of the story, and we see some unexpected people pop up today. So I am uh, my enjoyment level is increasing. Yeah, no, agree with you 100%. I mean, the first uh, couple issues, you know, had that election and all that other weird stuff that oh, was going yeah. on. and. Didn't really care for those those issues, but right. uh, but now that we're into um, you know interesting, a very interesting story. Exactly, uh, I'm fully engaged now. So this is the big this. We are in the middle of the big story arc now. You remember, like in um, the X Files, where you had the big overarching thing where aliens are out there, bees. And then you'd have the little Monster of the Week story. And then every once in a while, they'd interject with the big overarching uh, story. Uh, Well, we're here now. We're definitely in the middle of the big overarching story. Right. um, Which is pretty good. Yep. Nope. I like it. I like it a lot better than I did at the beginning. Yeah. And it ends on a cliffhanger. Spoiler. And I'm really looking forward to finding out what happens next. (laughs) Me too. And I have not read 10. Or yeah. uh, and and I'm looking forward to it because it's not 100 percent clear to me how these new new old characters fit into the overall narrative. Sure. All right. So shall we get started? Please let's. All right. So I get to do uh, Star Trek Year Five issue number seven. Uh, this has a cover date of October 2019. So there's two covers. Uh, the first cover is by Stephen Thompson, and it shows uh, the little Tholian child, Bright Eyes, at the bottom of the panel looking up. And then we see uh, Spock, Kirk, and McCoy all with scowls on their face kind of looking down at the little guy. And then the uh, retail incentive cover is by J.J. Lindy. And it's kind of a propaganda-looking, kind of a weird poster, really. Um, it has like a 
Tholian silhouette in the background um, has the word trespasser in the front. And then off of one of the, the top S in the, the trespasser, the second S in the word, Star Trek is spun off of that. And the last E in trespasser is the last E in the, in the phrase year five. So it's kind of a weird, weird picture. And then inside the silhouette of the, the mean Tholian, we see Spock, Kirk, McCoy, Uhura, Chekhov, uh, Sulu, and Scotty. And then at the top it says, all that stands between the Enterprise and home is certain doom. The uh, writer of this issue is Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist is Stephen Thompson. Colorist is Charlie Cherkoff. Letterer, Neil Yutaki. Editorial assist by Annie Perhintupa. Editor, Chase Marotz. And editor, or group editor, is Denton J. Tipton. So we start off on Tholia, which is the name of the Tholian people, which I never knew that. The uh, Tholian leaders are dis- having a discussion about what to do with the Enterprise. And they actually have like a hologram in between them to see. They agree that the Tholians must venture past their normal borders in order to destroy the interlopers, who they claim have defiled their language, kidnapped a child, and perhaps started a war. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Spock and Kirk are now able to speak to the young Tholian on board that they call Bright Eyes. He is telling them that all Tholians are linked, so it seems impossible that other Tholians would have attacked the Tholian settlement where Bright Eyes was rescued from. Uh, The discussion is cut short when the Enterprise is rocked. Kirk returns to the bridge and finds that uh, they have warped into a Tholian net. All energy to the transporter is lost, along with the engines and uh, communications and everything else. Um, There is nothing to see, as far as the eye can see, except Tholian netting. Ahura cannot contact anybody, again, due to the subspace uh, communications being down, but she is able to detect a radio wave. And using some triangulation, she pinpoints the location of the signal and finds a strange craft also caught in the net. Kirk and Sulu are going to take a spacewalk over to the new craft. As they are suiting up, Kirk tells Sulu not to blame himself for the Enterprise getting caught under his command. Once suited up, they launch into space, doing their very best Superman poses. Uh, At some point, I assume Sulu gets too close to the webbing and he gets shocked, and then they hold hands, spin around a bit, and they are able to somehow launch themselves back towards the alien craft. Uh, Those few panels are kind of confusing to me. As they get close to the hatch, a door opens and they fall into a liquid field interior. There they meet an aquatic creature named Aeol. Aeol tells them that they were also caught in the web for a while and that the other five of her crew or his crew are now dead. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Bright Eyes is starting to go crazy, shaking and squealing and stuff. Uh, Spock tries to mind meld with it, but he only hurts his hand, and his, he then quotes his favorite line, and your favorite line, from Poltergeist, and says, They're here. Meanwhile, Kirk talks to Ayal, and uh, talks him into destroying the ship. 
He hopes that the destruction of the ship will release all the water inside and freeze in the vacuum of space, and then that this will somehow disrupt the net and allow the Enterprise to move through. As Sulu and Ayal place the charges on the hull, they notice spider-like shapes of a th- hundreds of Tholians creeping down the Tholian web towards the ship to be continued. Ba-dum, ba-dum, yeah. So, until this issue, I had really not understood the connection between Tholians and spiders. <laughs> I... That, uh... That they have a web? Well, the web thing, sure. Okay. But you in the original Tholian web episode, I don't remember ever seeing them uh, below the waist. No. So you had no idea. I mean, really, the thing was a puppet, probably. Um, and so in the original Taws show, you really didn't know much about them. But since then, in, at least in the comics, and did they have uh, you know uh, six legs like this? In Enterprise? In yeah. Enterprise? Yeah, they did. Okay, okay. So maybe that's the first time we saw it, or, well, whatever. So um, I had no idea there was such a close connection between spiders and Tholians. Uh, But seeing these little guys coming down is like a visceral kind of, uh, like a fear reaction kind of thing. But also kind of, when you think about it, it's like, why why don't they have a ship? I mean, well, and what's the deal with them being? Uh, do they have spacesuits on? So they have no problem with being in space, even though they like being in hot environments. Not only like, but they can't even live outside. Of, they can't live inside the normal ship because it's too cold. Well, they made a and big they, deal about that with bright yeah. eyes. So yeah, the fact that they can they can't live in the ship because it's too cold, but they can live out in the uh, cold of space. Cold of space the icy without a suit. Cold of space. Yeah, you know, that zero degrees. <laughs> seems a little weird. It does seem very weird. And, but I'm assuming and, they have a force field space uh, <laughs> spacesuit. Like Do they the, have a like belt? The cartoon. Do they have a belt on? Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah, because when you look at them, it does not look like they have a spacesuit on. No, there's no indication of that. And and another thing, not to spoil things too much, but as we look at this, as we get into the next issues, uh, where their directed energy weapons come from is is quite interesting too but let's not talk about that that's that's for another issue anyway i'm a little confused so but really cool they're their space <laughs> they're outer space spiders okay fine didn't realize that and uh and they're coming to get them they're coming to get them yep yep they're about to get got they're about to get got <laughs> yeah so what do you think of uh what do you think of the 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 fact that the Tholian, what do they call them, elders or ascendancy, something like that? Yeah, the, the leaders. <laughs> the leaders. So they decide at the beginning of this issue that we have to stop the Enterprise. All right, and then the Enterprise gets caught, and then we find out that Aeol has been trapped for a good long time, long enough that his people or his crew is now dead because they got caught because uh, they were so close to home and then now they've been caught long enough to perish so yep. that to me implies that it's been the net's been there for a lot longer than than what we're led to believe with the with the the leaders saying we need to have a net 
or uh, we need to stop them, you know? So what, what did you think anything was weird about that? Um, yes. It's weird to me that the Enterprise can be traveling at warp speed and suddenly not turn into string cheese <laughs> when it comes into contact with this, uh, what, this, this energy web. So um, that's weird. And, but good point about how long that that net has been up. Uh, and also, who is this interloper, this, this uh, black-colored um, Tholian? I don't think I've seen a black-colored Tholian before. They all tend to be like rusty red or right. brown in color. And they're talking to this, uh, this uh, dark-colored Tholian uh, as if they're not Tholian. Um, mm, I didn't catch that. I just thought he was like some sort of like special inquisitor or something like that. Well, um, no. I mean, it's <laughs> they talk about him. I do not take this shape lightly. And these guys that look really big, by the way, these the these um, elders or yeah, there's like what one, two, three, four, five, six. There's at least six of them. Maybe there's more. Um, but I see at least six in some of these panels, and they almost look like they are their legs have grown into the floor. Right. They're they're almost like stalagmites, isn't it? Stalagmites are on the bottom, on the uh, floor. Yep. Right. Um. So they almost look like that, and they're they look big. I mean, really big. And then this 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 short this uh, black tholian who's doing all the talking, all the warning, uh, and even showing a projection of the Enterprise at one point. Um, is is tiny next to these guys, or so it appears. Right. Yeah, it definitely does look like that. Right. Maybe the Tholians keep growing, and these are elders, so they're obviously oh. a lot bigger. There you go. There's a theory. But yeah, you're right. Uh, it does say, I do not take this form lightly. I missed I miss that when I originally read this. Well, I... Okay, so I'm not going to spoil anything, mm-hmm. but by the end of the ninth issue you're gonna know what's going on but when i first read this it was like no you will not know what's going on you'll just know something else is going on no it you don't know what it is okay hold on you'll know who this black tholian is that's true that's true that's what i'm getting at. all right and this black tholian is um is special and i was confused as to what was going on when i was reading this because they're treating them like he isn't Tholian, but and he's got all this information, and he's inciting war. Basically, I mean, he's trying to pick a fight. He's trying to pick a fight, and he's giving them weapons. What kind of weapon? So the weapons that the Black Tholian is talking about giving them was that the thing they were using when they first got on that uh, Tholian uh, uh, cold, cold gun or whatever that would like, yeah, whatever that thing was break through them. Yeah, I'm assuming was so. that it. Okay, yeah, that's right, because because they were testing that on the other Tholians, right? Yeah, and then they saved Bright Eyes from from being one of the guinea pigs, right? Okay, okay. Um, so it's like, well, who is this guy? I mean, and and why is he giving them weapons and inciting war? What's the point? Um, anyway, he's he, he he's a Loki or something. He's he's stirring up trouble. So, I was quite confused at the beginning of this one. Uh, so, so fun times. Uh, basically, they're trapped. Uh, 
they got this Ayao, 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 Ayao person. <laughs> yeah. Who I assumed was female, but if you look closely at her, him, uh, maybe not. Who knows? But uh, and it's a fish person, a very brightly right. colored fish person. I mean, I, matter of fact, what, what is it, it? Was it did they try to somewhat uh, pattern it a little bit after Beta Fish? Is that is you that think what so? they did? Maybe it definitely has like long fins and things like that. Right, it looks really really cool. Yeah, it's a pretty cool design. Um, a, a little, I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. And uh, unlike a mermaid that, like, maybe the bottom part's fish and, and the top part's human, <laughs> this is all all the way up and down uh, a fish, a humanoid fish. Right. Um, so. Yeah, it looks really cool. Almost like a salamander. More salamander, maybe, than fish. Salamander? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I anyway. think it looks cool. It's definitely one of the, the best uh, comic book aliens I've seen in a while. Right. And the idea of having uh, an alien, spacefaring alien race that has uh, basically an aquatic ship, a ship that is loaded with water because that's their atmosphere, um, right. is interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. But it did get me to thinking when he, when they pull in Kirk and Sulu, uh, I mean, you would have to displace that water pretty fast. Otherwise, your ship would explode from the pressure. Oh, of the additional people? Right. In it? The additional mass inside the water. Right. So that's kind of interesting because you can't really compress. Compress water. You can't well, you compress can. water like you, you can. can. It just takes a lot of force. Right. Unlike yeah. oxygen or air, you can compress it and, and get an extra person in pretty easy. Easier, but getting right. it into a water environment would be harder. Right. Right. Good point. Didn't think of that. But so they, those mu- suit- they must have a, manage- a way to manage that. Sure. So, and I guess they did have five other bodies in there at, at one <clears> point. <throat> so. mm-hmm. It is kind of creepy how she's he, she, whatever it is, says, uh, you know, there used to be five other people here, but they're all part of the water now. And I'm like, and part of me. Yeah, yeah. I breathe in the water, so I breathe in them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And and doesn't Sulu yeah, say? Cute. Doesn't Sulu kind of say something about, oh, I would be uncomfortable if I was in your position because I'd be a cannibal, it sounds mm-hmm. like. I mean, he doesn't use the word cannibal, but I think he's insinuating that, isn't he? I didn't catch that, but maybe he did say, yeah, we believe in reincarnation, too. And then she's like, it's not reincarnation. I, this is this is real, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm talking real stuff here. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, didn't catch the, I didn't catch the cannibal implication uh yeah i th- i think so but yeah maybe i missed but but this belief about the the ocean i thought was interesting because uh there's a doctor who novel mm-hmm. that uh the doctor i can't remember somehow turns some aliens into liquid or something and then he they drop they just like drop a few drops into the ocean and then now they're like well now that the that that entity, the few drops of the alien entity that was liquid, is now in the ocean. It's now the whole ocean because every part is connected and blah, blah, blah. So it was very reminiscent to what, what he she's saying here. Hmm. Interesting. So I don't know if that's a real belief that uh, all the ocean is connected. 
uh, or they just happen to come up with kind of the same idea, two different mediums. Right. Um, yeah, I think that might be an existing idea, but they're definitely uh, taking it pretty far uh, with this uh, Ayal's uh, way of looking at the world, the watery world in which right. she exists. Yep. Yep. So, uh, yeah. So Kirk has the bright idea of, hey, let's blow up your ship. Yeah. <laughs> she, after, after he says, uh, my crew is here in the water and I breathe it in and it's all here. And it's very important that I get this water back to the home world. And then the <sighs> next thing out of Kirk's mouth is, but you, you're okay if I destroy it, right? Because <laughs> that's our only way to uh, disrupt the Tholian web fields or whatever yeah it's pretty pretty abrasive i thought <laughs> especially after everything he's he's he said yeah but then you know they then they cut away back to the enterprise what's going on there with uh bright eyes going nuts so because he knows the other tholians are on their way um but then they come back and it's like she's kind of like uh okay oh yeah yeah she was she was okay, she's with, okay it with it, it. she was down it. with it yeah yeah, she says uh, the vessel. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she also was giving him a hard time about him calling. Do you mind if I we sacrifice her? And she's like, the vessel doesn't have a gender, Captain. Oh, but right, yes. right, right, right. Okay, so it's that's useless without six uh, of her species to right. pilot it. So she's okay with destroying it, but uh, it doesn't seem to have the sentimental value that it seemed to have on the first page. Yeah. <laughs> or at least the water doesn't have the sentimental value it had on the first page. Right. The previous page. And also interesting that that particular interaction about the uh, ship not having a uh, gender is one of the first times we're starting to get a uh, a sneak preview of how Ayal and her people, or his people, whatever, uh, deals with gender. Right. It's a very which, fluid thing. Which will be a, uh, a story point in the next issue. Right. Right. Which I actually kind of liked. But let's talk about it. Uh, my initial reaction was a little ooky, but then after I got used to the idea, it's like, oh, okay, interesting, interesting. Because, so I but do... I, I thought of her as a female. You know, I mean, although if well, you look at her... She's all thin and, and spindly, but aside sure. from that, she a doesn't... Decent, you know, decent-looking legs. Yeah. <laughs> but her torso and arms are fish lady. male. Yeah, yeah flat, as a, flat as a board. <laughs> but she's a fish. <laughs> but she's a fish. But uh, but anyways, I, I thought it was odd when she gets into her or he, whatever it is, uh, gets into the spacesuit mm-hmm. that um, everything's covered like a normal traditional spacesuit, with the exception of the of, tail, like the tail thing. Yeah, what's yeah, that about? Like, I don't get that. Would that hurt your tail? That it would like dry out and it immediately just like freeze if yeah. you just came straight out of the water. Yeah, and doesn't it look like the legs? The bottom of the legs are Oh, yeah, the bottom either. of the legs, too. It's like the feet or whatever? Or the... Yeah. So she's got a... It is literally a tail that looks like a red ribbon, almost, coming out. And then, like, blue and red-colored... Um, fins. Fins for feet. Yes. Right. But, yeah, they're they're completely not covered. Yeah, so what's... So, so maybe that one also that. has, like, a little force field around it. We just <sighs> then why bother with uh, the metallic-looking silver bits? And then she's got a bowl on her head. <laughs> I um, don't know. 
Well, you still got to breathe. Why? So the rest, okay. The suit is just to hold in the water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 an interesting design. You just don't think about it too much. Um, so speaking of suits, mm-hmm. I, we're getting a good look at the uh, at the Taz era spacesuits that they use in the Tholian web uh, TV episode. Right. So I mean, you really couldn't. And I think they did a great job taking the uh, the original cheesy design. I think that was your word. Was it your word? I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I thought it was an okay design. Um, at least one thing definitely about it is you can definitely see the actor. Right. And um, so that's something, uh, you know, in a real situation, seeing the person inside really isn't that important. But in a TV show, in a movie, in a comic book, it's good to see the actor in there. And you do have a lot of space moving your head around. So right. from that standpoint, I guess the, uh, I guess the design is good. But it, yeah, it's got these external tubes going around, blue tubes, red tubes, yeah, uh, orange tubes. Um, it's almost the same. It's almost the same three colors as uh, traditional Starfleet uh, uniforms are in. Um, yeah, to really make that uh, television set pop. Exactly. Since color was fairly new at the time. Exactly. And color was the reason they had such outrageously colored uh, <laughs> outfits. Now, this this suit in the movie, or mm-hmm. in the show, mm-hmm. I liked it okay. It's what? the It's the Naked Now space suit that they use that oh. I hate so much. Yeah, I, th- I have to go back and look at that one. Oh, so it's that... so bad. It's just like an orange fabric jumpsuit looking thing yeah. and it's but that was just not supposed to be sealed uh, at all yeah but that was supposed to be just like a a, a contamination suit it wasn't supposed to be uh, a breathing apparatus and everything, I thought they said that uh, the ship was open to vacuum of space so they beamed into a vacuum I don't think they ever said uh, we repressurized the ship okay so they're walking around a completely frozen ship with little flaps and stuff where they're exposed to the air. And in okay. fact, I think he even brings his hand into the the mask to scratch his nose or something. <laughs> and it was just like, that's how he gets contaminated with the uh, the naked now uh, right. uh, 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 juice. I can't remember what it was. It was like a drop, drop of water or something. Right? Yeah, it was some kind of biological agent. That, but that did but yeah, that was that's always the suit I think of when I think of Bad spacesuits. This one, I don't think it looks great, but here in the comic books it looks great. But uh, but I don't dislike this one as much as that other one. Oh, yeah. In this issue, I mean, I never had a problem with the suit. Um, I thought you did, but uh, I was mistaken. Um, but they're between the uh, spacewalks, and they got pretty cool jetpacks on the back. So streamline uh, both Ayal and... And the Enterprise uh, Federation Starfleet uh, spacesuits, they have little jet packs on the back, and they, they're pretty cool. So, and the, these little jets are working in the water, it's working in space, and it's kind of cool because they got these, these three going around uh, almost like superheroes. So these are almost like their superhero outfits. Right, uh, and they are flying around in very superhero poses. Exactly, exactly. Especially when Kirk... Exits the ship, and uh, and it almost made it look like he was breaking through glass, 
when he exits. So you see, it's a really pretty cool shot where you see half of him out of the ship. And at first it looks like glass, but when you look more closely, it's water. So that's when Kirk f- leaves the ship. Yeah, when the Kirk leaves ship? the ship, the fish ship. Oh, he doesn't leave the ship in this one. That must be the next issue. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, so it's the next one, I guess. <laughs> um, but when he does leave it, uh, it looks very um, a, a great superhero kind of pose, and he right. almost looks like a Superman smashing through. Uh, so anyway, I guess it's the yep. next one, but it's yeah. still that panel is interesting because he is not he's he's smashing through water. <laughs> so is that it must be a force field holding sure. the water in holding the water in. So okay. So back to this issue. Um, did you understand what happened when Sulu suddenly gets electrocuted electrocuted at 350 meters, and then they had to then do the spinning thing and flying out? I, I that page. I read through it a hundred times thinking I must have missed a word balloon or something to explain what the heck was going on. So yeah, what what was your know. take? What was your hot take? I thought that they needed to spice things up briefly. And so they had that happen. So apparently when, what you, happened? when you come against, you get too close to the web and it draws you in. And uh, did he actually reach the web or he was no. just being drawn towards it? I don't know. It's not clear. It just shows some electricity coming off of his back when he says 400 meters to target, and yeah. then at, at 350 meters to, to uh, and exactly. it just shows him like getting shocked. So is it reaching out and grabbing him and pulling him back? Because then Kirk goes after him, and it looks like he's trying to keep Sulu from going backwards, or what? I'm not quite I don't sure. Know. Then they just start pinwheeling, like, like Doing like some somersaults, salts in the in the space, and then yeah. he lets him go. So he, or, he, they're using centrifugal force to uh, <laughs> to get them both away from the clutches of the. Yeah, I don't the, know. The, like, like gravity, the the movie Gravity. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, no, I did not. I did not no. know what was going on, and it didn't seem to affect them because in the next page they're both zooming around with their jetpacks again, like nothing happened. So right. And they're actually flying through the the web, you know, the web squares, it looks like. Which is confusing, too, because what you've got is you've got the web, then you've got a YAL ship, and then the Enterprise is further away. So Sulu and and Kirk are going towards the web, towards the ship, and so the ship is between them and the web, but then all of a sudden Sulu is being drawn towards the web, um, there's going to be something similar to that in, is it issue nine, I think, where Kirk ends up getting grabbed by the web, um, right. which is similarly confusing to me. Right. So again, in that one, not, not, to, not to talk too much about it, but he's, he exits the ship, I assume on the enterprise side of things. So he's heading towards the enterprise. Then he's kind of winged with, with, with a, with some kind of an energy weapon. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's up against the, the, the web. It's like, right. what? That's totally confusing to me. So I was like, okay, whatever. Yeah. In, in, in instances like this, I kind of miss the old days, the old comic books, where they would have like a little, 
a little box to explain what was going on, so you didn't oh. have to rely 100% on the visuals. That right. you did get or a little dialogue. bit of, a, yeah, dialogue or just you know just a little text box that says you know, as Sulu reaches the edge of space, he's <laughs> pulled back with a lightning bolt, exactly. you know, or something, just to yeah, explain something. it to you so that you can be like, okay, now I understand what's going on. There you go. So yeah, older comics definitely had more words than newer comics. <laughs> well, they have faith that uh, that uh, we readers can keep up. Well, obviously Apparently we can't because we're both. <laughs> Apparently <confused>. not always. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it it appears from the retailer incentive cover that the title of this issue is Trespasser. So who's the trespasser? Is it well, is it Sulu and Kirk going into Ayal ship? Is it Ayal ship and the Enterprise trespassing on the Tholian web? But they're they're not in Tholian space, right? So who's the trespasser? I, I, I assume I'm that it's confused. I assume that's the Enterprise because that's what the the Black um, Tholian was kind of pushing that these are interlopers and trespassers. So okay. I, I assumed it was just a oh to the Enterprise. okay. So the Enterprise, the Enterprise crew, when they were in that unclaimed space where the colony was, right. where they found Bright Eyes? Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, the very first word in the in the comic is trespasser from beyond the stars. Oh, no, maybe the, the black alien is, is, the, is the trespasser. I don't oh. know. Because <laughs> the very first word balloon, is, and it's from the Ascendancy, says trespasser from beyond the stars, you are once again presented. Ah. So. Maybe it's the the black one. Interesting. Ooh, Interesting. Good catch. Good catch. Okay. I just I just caught it now. I'm not going to take credit for it. That I like, had that in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you 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 recognized it better better late than never. So pretty cool. Good job. Um, another thing, I think I think the uh, trippy '60s kind of uh, panel where Spock is mind-melding with uh, Bright Eyes, is pretty cool looking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, with page uh, uh, page 16, I think. Um, so, pretty cool looking. Not expected. I was not expecting that. Um, but that's an interesting visual way of depicting the mind-meld between Spock and Bright Eyes. Right. Yeah, that no, was pretty cool. wonder if you put it under a black light, it looks all... Ooh. Hold on, man! Don't don't get me going. That could be weird. All right, anything else? Um, I guess the only thing I just want to say is, uh, at this point, I was really looking forward to exactly how Ayal's ship blowing up in the water, going out, was going to free the Enterprise because I was really not sure how that was going to work. Um, but. Uh, I mean, were they, well, whatever. So at this point, I just wasn't sure how things were going to happen. Right. It almost acts like if, if they're saying that they're actual beams of like a laser beam. And if you put a bunch of ice in the path of the laser beam, then it'll, it'll short it break, out. break the, break the connection, right? The laser beam will stop at the ice instead of continuing forward. I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. Right. I mean the enterprise. I mean, let's say it opens a hole, or from the explosion, it opens a hole in the uh, Tholian web, which is—I don't think that's what happens. Um, I mean, is the Enterprise supposed to go through the hole? Right. So um, the Enterprise has to 
get to LL's ship, or at least close to it, to get through a hole that's being blown open right, right there. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. No. Uh, okay, we'll find out the next issues. Plus, all these Portholians that are on the web will just fall off. Oh, no! And why? I mean, they must come from a ship, right? I mean, are they just hanging out? They're just, hey, we're just hanging out here. Like your point about Eyal being there, her ship being there so long enough that, you know, it's cannibalism time. Um, where where did the Tholians come from? I mean, are they just literally hanging out on the web this whole time? Right. I, it just doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Just don't think too much. Okay, that's it. That's all I have to say. All right. Let's see if it's all answered in the next one. It won't be. Okay, issue number eight. Now, based on the uh, retailer incentive cover, I am assuming that the title of this one is Pride of the Fleet, uh, which I assume is is referring to the Enterprise because um, that retailer incentive cover is pretty cool. It shows um, it's all it's all drawn in a kind of Art Deco kind of style or something like that. It's got the Enterprise and then. It's got other smaller enterprises to the left and right, but then you see little circles that are naming the other uh, Starfleet ships, like the Hood and, and things like that. So it's like, okay, cool. So there's the Enterprise, probably the fleet, amongst the rest of the fleet, which are all Constitution class, at least on this cover. So anyway, so I assume it's that's the title, I guess. Although, I like the other issue, we don't see it actually mentioned anywhere inside the book. That's the title, but kind of assuming. Anyway, published date is November 2019. Writer is Jack Lansing and Colin Kelly. Art by Stephen Thompson. Colors by Charlie Kirchhoff. Letterer, Neil Yataki. Showrunners, Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Editor, Chase Marotes. Editorial assist, Annie Parentupa. Group editor, Denton J. Tipton. So there was a little bit of repeating there, I guess. Most of those people are all the same as the as, as issue 7, but I don't think they're all the same, but whatever. So I'm repeating myself. Okay, so the first cover, there's two of them. Uh, cover A features Kirk, Sulu, and Spock in spacesuits and heavily armed, moving away from the Enterprise and towards the reader. The ship appears to be trapped yet again in a Tholian web. This cover is by Stephen Thompson, and oh yes... Sulu is carrying a Taz phaser rifle. Yes. Retailer incentive cover A, which is the only retailer incentive cover, I already kind of described. So that's the one with the uh, Pride of the Fleet and the the Enterprise and traveling through space. Uh, Very colorful. It's nice. The font is interesting. Okay. Spock at the con orders red alert. Chekhov reports dozens of Tholians are moving along the web, closing in on the alien ship and the Enterprise. Meanwhile, Bright Eyes is going nuts in sickbay, saying, Too late! It's too late! Kind of like that old song. Too late, it's too late. McCoy asserts that the recent mind meld between Spock and Bright Eyes has negatively affected both of them. Chekhov observes they cannot shoot... And they cannot run, so what do we do? With sweat running down Spock's temple, Spock admits he does not know. Having set the last of the explosive charges and getting Kirk's assurances he will be right behind them, Sulu and Ayal kick off from the doomed ship and head towards the Enterprise. 
the Tholians start spreading out from the web and towards the Enterprise by making a chain of Tholians uh, holding each other's hands. Kind of like that old game where you had little plastic monkeys and you would you, you'd grab them and make a long monkey chain. Kirk exits a Yal ship in a very action-packed way and heads for the Enterprise, but on the way is hit by a Tholian weapons fire that disables his spacesuit's thrust pack. Sulu wants to go back for him, but Kirk, now somehow stuck to the Tholian web, tells Sulu he needs to get a Yal back to the Enterprise. In true heroic fashion, Kirk plans to sacrifice himself and detonate the charges with the remote control in his right hand. Meanwhile, Scotty reports to Spock that even with the opportunity the captain's giving them, it'll take 30 minutes to start up the warp engines from their current cold state. Spock orders Scotty to be ready to cold start the engines if it comes to that. Scotty objects, reminding him of how they went back in time the last time they tried to do that. In sickbay, an extremely agitated bright eyes finally rips open the outside hull of the ship and explosively exits into open space, saying, I will not lose him. Chekhov reports he is approaching the web. As Sulu enters the bridge and takes the helm, Spock says he believes he underestimated their Tholian guest's passion and courage. Indeed, with incredible speed, Bright Eyes makes his way across the web, dodging hand-beam shots from his fellow Tholians, and reaches Kirk. Bright Eyes grabs Kirk and pushes off from the web toward the Enterprise. Three seconds later, Kirk detonates Ayal's ship, releasing its water at the web and propelling he and Bright Eyes towards the Enterprise. Later, Spock's log entry recaps recent events. As expected, the explosion and released water in Ayal's ship did interfere with the web's dampening field, and the Enterprise was able to escape. Sulu's skills at helm ensured their escape, and apparently the total absence of Tholian ships in the area did not hurt either. The the just-in-the-nick-of-the-time activated transporter system was able to beam Kirk and Bright Eyes back into the ship, but not before the captain was exposed to extreme amounts of radiation. The doctor is treating him, but cannot predict whether the captain will survive or not. Later, after the ship is again safely on its way, Ayal shows up in Sulu's quarters and, uh, you know, seduces him. Oh my. During the seduction, Ayal discloses that gender is an irrelevant concept with her beta fish people. Meanwhile, a Tholian-sounding voice on the Tholian homeworld states they may have overestimated the Tholians. It goes on to say they held their hands, gave them the weapon, and showed them where to lay the trap, and still, the way is not prepared. As the speaker shifts its shape from that of a Tholian to that of a black cat, a second voice says they will just have to make adjustments. They will find a way to make this all work. The human shape of Gary Seven standing in the doorway of a white TARDIS, picks up his companion, his partner, and says to Isis, we have a universe to save. To be continued. I know know that guy. You do know him. 
Me too, Gary Seven. How cool is that? Pretty cool. And the idea that they used Isis's shape-shifting abilities to become the Black Tholian is pretty cool. Right. Yeah, it's very interesting. Yeah. And it is interesting how when it changes from the Tholian to the cat, you can mm-hmm. see the transition. So it's Tholian, naked woman, like yep. werewolf-looking thing. Yep. <laughs> Exactly. It does look like a werewolf-looking thing. Right. Yeah, so that's pretty cool how they depicted the metamorphosis, the shifting, uh, by the multiple um, shapes. Panels, right. Uh, very cool. And, and so I only thought that Isis could shift between cat and human. Uh, you know, Fully clothed human, by the way. Exactly. I just want to throw that out there. Exactly, in the original <laughs> uh, Taz TV episode. But um, but no, the idea that she's really a full-fledged shapeshifter that probably can take any form. I, I mean, it can take on the form of a Tholian, so why not anything? That's kind of cool. I, I guess I never thought of that, but uh, they're definitely stating that's a, that's a thing she can do. Right, and speaking. She never speaks in the old show, right? He talks to her, but she never talks back. Well, because she's normally in the, uh, in the cat form until... Um, the very end, and she's just sitting on the couch. Right. But in all the expanded media, we've never seen her talk, have we? Mm, blah, 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 blah. I don't remember. Definitely not yep. in the TV series. And now he has popped up a couple times. Um, you know, that's a really good question. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember her ever talking, but... Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's very possible that she hasn't. But she's a full, fully engaged, full-fledged partner... In this, at the end of this, uh, this book, right. As a matter of fact, she almost sounds like uh, I didn't include it in the synopsis. It was long enough as it was, but she says something about. Did you ever wonder how it'd be if we just like stopped babysitting youthful races and just went off on our own, Gary? So, right. They are they are partners, and there's a little bit of something at least going. On the ISIS side towards Gary. But Gary's all business. Right. So in the original show, did it say that he was a human that was brought to a, a space fair, uh, an advanced civilization, and raised to be a protector? Or was that just expanded universe stuff? No, they... I don't think they went into quite as much detail, but they did say that he was somebody... Uh, his... Humans were taken a long time ago, and then Gary was bred and raised and enhanced. Uh, so there's a whole line of people. I mean, he was not—he himself was not born on Earth. Right. Okay. His ancestors were, and then they reintroduced them into the uh, into the races as an agent. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure they went that far in the original uh, episode. And yes. Uh, there are great parallels between Doctor Who and uh, Gary Seven, and um, yes, I brought it up, and yes, that looked like a TARDIS to me at the end. I agree. It did, just not blue. No, <laughs> not not blue. No, it's got a different shape, uh, but I bet it can change shapes too. But who knows? <laughs> 
chameleon circuit's not broken. Exactly. So uh, Ayal is uh, fluid, both male, female, whatever he, she wants to be. At whatever the it's called for. Whatever right. it's called for, yes, apparently. Which is something that amphibians can do, right? So, I mean, isn't that what brought down Jurassic Park is that they stupidly used toad DNA? It's something like that. That can change genders. That can Man. change genders, yeah. Pretty tricky, huh? So here we take it to the next step, which is a, a sentient species that can now do that because they're amphibian-like. Right. And I did for the heck of it since I also – I thought of her more as a, uh, as a fish than an amphibian. But uh, – and I, and I thought she looked like a beta fish. Uh, right. So I went ahead and did a quick look up on betas, beta fish. Mm-hmm. And they're actually I – you know, I asked the question, can beta fish change sex? And it's and it the question was there and the answer was there no it can't uh, so the fish although there it's said I guess there's some old wives tale that says it can change sex in the case of betas they do not change sex uh, amphibians and that kind of stuff I guess some do but not beta fish so eh, right. whatever eh, regardless um, I thought it was more I thought she looked more like a uh... Like a salamander, a, a colorful in the face, in very the face. very colorful, one. like in the face, that kind of thing. Yeah, and also how the gills come off off her head, like a salamander ah. says. Hmm. There you go. But uh, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting, and in that uh, he had to explain what a man was and things like that because uh, the Sulu had to explain what a man was, right? And the fact that humans don't change their gender identities, uh, but, typically. Typically. Right. <laughs> but Zulu does say it's a choice. He does say something like, uh, I'm a man. It's a very wide array of gender identities available yes. to people of my species. I thought yep. that was kind of cool. That's true. Uh, <laughs> apparently so. Uh, that, that's a reality that people are uh, traditionally do not acknowledge. But apparently so. So I thought I would be more used to this kind of bedroom scene after seeing The Shape of Water. Uh, but um, <laughs> it was a little like, oh. I, I was thinking, like, oh, how would that be? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a little slimy? It's like, but but no. <laughs> Apparently that worked for Shape of Water, and, it, and it's working here for Sue. I didn't even think of Shape of Water, but definitely the cover of the next issue really is reminiscent of Shape of Water. Right. So that's a good point. Yeah. Very romantic-looking um, thing going on. Interesting. So how do you like that full-page uh, panel that showed bright eyes explosively exiting the Enterprise? Yeah, and all the, the board games and teddy bears exactly. and stuff that they've given him flies exactly. out there. All, the, all cool. the toys. So I, I not only thought that was a pretty cool action-looking thing, but also uh, I assume that you know, drawing all the toys and things, also exiting the ship, is uh, is signifying that now Bright Eyes is exiting childhood uh, oh. with this act of self-sacrifice. So that's uh, maybe they didn't intend that, but that's how I read it, and it's uh, pretty cool. Pretty cool. Very, very good. Yes. Um, of course, I thought. I would think that the Enterprise is made of some pretty tough stuff. Um, maybe it does not have the ablative armor of the Defiant, but 
I thought its hull was like tritanium or whatever it is. Um, but Bright Eyes is able to cut through it. Yep, just punch right through it. Exactly. So that's pretty. Um, those Tholians, they are uh, they are whatever they need to be for the story. Yep, tough hombres. Tough hombres, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I did find it funny. You're seeing uh, McCoy and uh, Nurse Chapel pulling the door shut because mm-hmm. it won't shut on its own. Right. But how would you seal it? I mean, did it eventually? Did eventually they got it close enough that it recognized that it needed to shut and seal, or well, were they it, able to shut it and then push it from the other side? I don't know. Donovan, it is a spaceship. Their well, obviously, systems, it's having their problems. Systems are designed to form seals if there's explosive issues. Yeah, it was. Uh, <sighs> it was just a tension thing. We have to shut the door before he breaks through. Exactly. It, yeah, it, that really was it. I mean, you because there was nothing that was. Was there anything going on that would have damaged that mechanism? I mean, Bright Eyes was cutting his way through on the other side of the room, right? And exiting through the through the wall. But was that somehow supposed to be affecting the door mechanism on the other side? I of the think room? it's just the the power loss due to the the web, in general. Oh, hmm. okay, gotcha. That's the way I took it. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, it was artificial, but there you go. It gave McCoy and. Nurse Chapel a chance to do something. Right. Now, I did not notice uh, until your synopsis about the uh, hand beams coming out of the the Tholians. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely their hands are glowing and and phaser fire is coming out of it. Looks more like blaster fire, like from Star Wars. Exactly. It looks like Star Wars blaster fire. (laughs) Because they're like, uh, they're like, uh, what? uh, They're like little tubes of light. Or little, little bolts of light. Little hyphens. Exactly, yep. little hyphens. So, and they're coming out of their stinking hands. So you can see that. I mean, you can see as as they show bright eyes running along the the Tholian web, um, and you can see coming out of the hands. It's like it's like the Silver Surfer or Doctor Strange or something. I mean, they, they, it looks like there's no mechanism. They just got these force bolts coming out of their hands. Yeah, definitely which is kind of wacky. So not only do they appear to be able to exist in space with no spacesuit, or it appears to be no spacesuit, but they've also got laser beams coming out of their hands. Right, which makes the scene in Enterprise when they had captured one and he was hurting because it was so cold Uh and cracking that uh, it makes that seem even less plausible because he could have just blasted him with his <laughs> with his hand lasers and jump into space which is obviously warmer than the ship and be fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well consistency. It's what it's whatever is is called for by the story. That's what the that's what the situation's gonna be. Right. Alright, what else you got? I got nothing else. Alright. And shall we move to the next? Let's all right. So this is issue number nine. Came out December of 2019. Story by Jim McCann. Script by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly. Artist by Sylvia Califino. Colorist by Sebastian Chang. Letters by Neil Yutaki. Editorial assist by Annie Perhentupa. Editor Chase Marotes. Group editor Denton J. Tipton. 
and there are two covers again for this one. The first one shows Sulu and Ayal in an embrace. Looks like they're inside water, uh, and it's a very fish in water, uh, shape of water type looking pose from the movie poster. And behind them, also kind of like, looks like their faces are imposed in the bubbly water behind them, but much larger than they are, is uh, Chekhov, Spock, and Kirk. And then uh, that cover is by um, Sylvia Calafino. And then the other cover, the retail incentive cover, is by J.J. Lindy. And this is actually kind of cool because the uh, Star Trek Year 5 font is in um, gold key Star Trek font. So it says Star Trek Year 5. I love that. Yeah. And then to the side it says the Wine Dark Deep, which I assume maybe is the, the, the name of the issue. Um, and then up at the top it says prepare for an adventure that will leave you stunned. And the artwork looks very reminiscent of like an Indiana Jones uh, movie poster um, in that style of um, – oh, man, I forgot his name. But uh, it's definitely in that style where it's kind of like a collage of, of different scenes. So we have Chekhov at the top, left-hand corner. Right right below the words uh, is uh, A-all and then Spock. And then we have a phaser shooting right above the word Star Trek. Year five and uh, the wine dark deep, and then at the very bottom we have Kirk and Sulu, and then we also have uh, a whole bunch of credits, which is again makes it look like a movie poster. All right, so the story starts with a y'all and Sulu waking up in bed naked. Well, I guess a y'all's always naked, but Sulu is naked this time. Sulu laments about how happy he is with a y'all and says that he's lived there for almost five years. And this is the first time his cabin has ever felt like home. Ayal starts to tell Sulu that due to being away from the home planet, his her skin is starting to calcify. And we can see that by some, like, uh, looks like salt or uh, ice kind of forming on, on the scales. So as if on cue, there's a shipwide broadcast that says that they have made it to the home world of uh, his her people. And it's called Iquos. So on the bridge, the crew discuss that the planet is split into two populations, an aquatic species like Ayal and a land-based species. Spock states that the first contact procedures will be very important for both species. In sickbay, McCoy has stabilized Kirk, but cannot give much hope since the captain spent so much time in the vacuum of space and exposed to the radiation. Elsewhere, Spock, Chekhov, Sulu, and Ayal travel to the planet via shuttle. Once they land, Ayal convinces them to all jump into the ocean without wearing any scuba gear. She states that the water will provide all that is needed. So they actually all do it, plunging in and finding that it's true. They can breathe and talk normally underwater, Aquaman style. They swim to the city and are greeted by the leader of the people. Uh, they are then taken to a room where they discuss that it just so happens that the aquatic leader has a planned talk with the land-based leader uh, later that day. What a coincidence. 
it is again specified that the land-based population is actually the same as the aquatic population, that uh, these are people that just chose to live up on the land, and eventually their skin started to calcify, and they became 100% land-based, kind of like an amphibian. The um, Starfleeters and the um, leader of the aquatic people's team swim up to the surface and enter a tavern. All the Starfleeters are wearing hoods to hide their alien origin. The leaders of the two people meet in the middle of the tavern and embrace, while uh, Lal and the humans are greeted warmly by the other tavern patrons. Sulu is even offered a drink, and when he drinks it, he spits up the stuff. This dislodges his hood, and everyone can now see that they are aliens. A ruckus then uh, happens, and Chekhov and one of the surface guards are pointing guns at one another. Everyone tries to calm things down when Chekhov is almost tackled by one of the land-based aliens, and the, the guy actually grabs Chekhov's hand and forces him to pull the trigger on the phaser, which hits the leader of the surface people. With the poop now completely covering the proverbial fan, the aquatic and starfleeters are thrown off the island and back into the water. The surface people are now starting to plan a retaliation that they call sea burners, which it seems that is molten lava that's being pumped directly onto the undersea kingdom. Chekhov insists that it's not his fault, that his phaser was only on stun, the leader is not dead. Spock comments that none of that matters now while they watch the aquatic people being completely destroyed by the falling lava. To be continued. Chekhov, Chekhov, Chekhov. During this issue, he seems to be having uh, quite a fun time of things. Uh, and then at the end, he is just a, a crying, guilt-ridden young Russian. Yeah, and I don't see... I mean, I'm with him. He didn't do anything wrong. No. He had to pull the gun out when the other guy pulled the gun out. Well, he didn't have to, but he did. I mean, sure, uh, I guess so. Uh, but the other guy pulled the gun first. Oh, I agree. I mean, he's justified. It's just, you know, you I mean... Spock will do the pacifist path as long as he can. And, and Chekhov, maybe because he is just a born security person as opposed to a navigator which he'll grow into <laughs> in future years. But, uh, yeah, he, he was doing red shirt there. Right. But obviously, uh, the, the surface dwellers in, you know, they incited this because they obviously oh. already had it planned to, well, they're the poop heads. Yeah. They just wanted, destroy. they wanted any kind of excuse that they could find. Right. To, to, to start the war. Yeah, the fact that they already had a word for it, and they already had it all primed and ready to go. Yep, they got the weapon, and they yeah. let it go right away. There was, like, no, there was no hesitation. Yeah. Which is really sad, if you think about it, because these people have family down there, right? You would assume that not their whole family decided to, you know, give up being aquatic species and, and go up on the land. So... Well, you don't them, know. Them you don't know how do long they did this. I mean, sure. The land. Well, I mean, they, they act like anybody's <clears> welcome <throat> when they come into the tavern. They're like, "Oh, everybody's welcome," you know. Yeah. You know, and like to that, be us. Yeah, yeah, that it that it happens all the time that somebody decides to to take the unplunge, if you will. 
The unplunge. <laughs> there you go. But, I mean, there's probably been generations that have been born on land. Sure. But, well, I guess you don't really know. Right. Uh, we don't I was know just thinking that they could be like, like hippies. You know, like, like hippies. Some, like just some, like, counterculture moment movement that was like, hey, we're going to live on our own and do our own thing. But still not be, you know, wanting to kill everybody that doesn't want to do the whole change to a, a, a human person or a, a land person. A land dweller. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a pretty callous thing to just suddenly dump lava on your ancestors. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's like, um, you know, obviously there is a, sociologically a divide here. <laughs> so um, even though they're of the same species root, uh, they see each other as very different. And uh, apparently there is uh, some sociological deep divisions. Right. Uh, which makes them not like each other. Which happens to humans, too. So, even today. Uh, but, yeah. At least we don't dump lava on each other. Anyway. Yet. So, um... So I like uh, I like Chekhov's cannonball into the water. <laughs> I thought that was funny. That was great. I love that. And I did not like the whole idea that they can magically go in the water, and because the water is super oxygenated, and because somehow it also repairs humans' bodies, cells somehow. Right. Um, that that's why you don't have to be encumbered under the water. Uh, with the whole breathing apparatus and stuff. Um, I mean, basically, Spock and his away team are like uh, Atlanteans or something. They're just like, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they're even talking underwater. So it's like, uh, okay, fine, (laughs) let's just go with it. It just doesn't seem very logical. But I do love seeing uh, Chekhov having a good time. Right. Well, I mean, I think also they're setting up that this is how they're going to fix Kirk, is give him a, a good dunk in the water. Ooh, oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, really? I, I, as soon as as soon as soon Yell says that uh, it actually repairs your, damn it, your cells so that they yeah. won't expire, I was like, oh, okay, that's how they're going to fix it. Oh, good Kirk. idea. And that yeah. would bring Kirk into, into the situation right. with these uh, people on the planet. Hmm. That's my assumption. I haven't read the next issue, so Good I don't. Point. Good point. But I think that was right. the first thing that popped up when they, when he said that. Cool. But yeah, very Aquaman-y. Um, didn't really care for it. Also, kind of reminded me of um, uh, what was it, the uh, Abyss, where they had yes, where they had the the pink water that they would breathe. Yeah. So towards the end of the Abyss, Ed Harris has to go down way deep, and the way they do the way they're able to do that is to actually have a diving suit that has oxygenated fluid that you pull into your lungs so you're not no longer you know a, a meat sack full of air which is a problem as you're going through the high pressures i i was thinking about the same thing so i've been exposed to this idea before but even though i was exposed to the idea of people actually breathing through oxygenated fluid i was still having a tough time with this Right, right. Yep, same here. Yeah. I just got to go through it. And what do you think about the underground city, or underwater city, I should say, underwater? 
It looked just like Atlantis. I to me, it looked just like Bikini Bottom. <laughs> you were looking for a pineapple somewhere? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, look at some, I mean, not everything. But sure. look at, especially when you first see that first panel that shows the underground or the underwater city. There's like a, a wall of like a purple kind of, it's, it, it looks like almost like, like multiple buildings that are all next to each other or something. Right. With these like blue, purple kind of things going up above the building itself into the into the, the upper water. And it's like, oh my God, that's SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> but the other parts not not so much. But that that's SpongeBob. <laughs> I did not think SpongeBob. I just thought because it was so colorful that right. it really reminded me of when uh, Aquaman goes down Aquaman. to Atlantis in the Aquaman movie. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's pretty. It is colorful. Pretty. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So um, I guess I guess uh, Sulu did uh, they did uh, they did the deed. Oh. <laughs> oh, they did the deed maybe several times. Uh, yes. Yeah, the, the the book starts off with them in bed, and uh, and Sulu's got goo goo eyes, you know, like ah, I've never been so happy. <laughs> now, isn't so he isn't he married? That's what I, that was where I was going to get at. Is and that, got a uh, kid. I don't know if he's supposed to be married or, but he should have a kid by now, right? Or, I would think. Right. Well, we'll not worry about that. Yeah. Or maybe he goes off and, and has a kid after this. Maybe. Maybe. And you know what? As far as the movies go, it never does, or the TV shows. It never says he has a wife. No. So no. when they introduce the J.J. Abrams, uh, Sulu, and Demora and Sulu's partner, um, I didn't really have that big of a problem with it because they never said who the, you know, who the other parent that watched Demora all those years was whether it was right. male or female. Um, I mean, some of the expanded universe did talk about her mother um, and Sulu's relationship, but mm-hmm. in the movies, in the show, the, the quote-unquote true canon, there was nothing that that said it had to have been a wife. Right. Good point. Good point. But I know a lot of people were upset about that because they were like, "No, he has to have a wife to have a daughter," and I'm like, oh. eh, "Not always. Quite how it works." Well, I mean that's the easy. Plenty of, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it? Um, who's the anchor on CNN? Uh, I forgot his name, but I mean he's got a kid, and I think he and his partner um, had a uh, what surrogate? Sure. Yeah. Uh, that 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 carry the baby. Right. So it's it happens. So surrogate adoption, and then I would assume by this time they could take DNA from two, two different people and do uh, some sort of artificial insemination or something. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the future. The future. Yeah. What was that? Wasn't there a sitcom or something where the guy becomes pregnant? I forgot. Yeah, it was called Junior with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes pregnant. In that movie, Junior. Oh, that's. <laughs> okay, that's wacky. Okay, yeah, I, I think remember they've, it was they've done it. They've done it plenty of times, right? Okay, well, if they did it, if they did it now, 
in a movie. Anyway. So, um, how would you pronounce the planet's name? Iquos? Yeah, it, it almost looked like a, uh, like a Klingon name. Right. Um, yeah, I-Q-O-S I with an apostrophe after the I. Iquos? I don't know. I quote, it wouldn't be a hard O, it would be a, a light O. Right. I. I wish it was like Aqua. A instead of I, like Aqua. Oh. <laughs> that would have been. A... <laughs> that would have been a little bit too close to the mark, maybe. Or if they wanted to go towards, you know, every every planet in the Star Trek universe has a, a Roman type of equivalent, mm-hmm. they could have named it like um, Neptune or something like that, or. Neptonus. Neptonus. <laughs> Sounds good. Right, it does, right? That would be great. Why don't they have you naming things? Or Atlantis. Oh, wait. That's, you, that's, that's you, you would be in the credits under Namer. Right, <laughs> right beneath letterer, Namer. Don right. Chambers. Oh, and they could also throw me in there as... Uh, uh, Canon supervisor. Continuity director. Continuity. Make it all fit. Exactly. Anyways. So yeah, I like I like the whole story about the, the two people and the and the, you know changing your you know, like an amphibian who could choose to change to a air breather. Right. Uh, I kinda like that idea. Yeah. It was interesting to me. Yeah, but also the and the and the idea of the water people being more flexible, more um, fluid uh, with their their thoughts and their <laughs> genders, and then the it seems like they're insinuating the land versions are more fixed, more um, rigid, more hard. rigid, set in their ways, yeah. perhaps. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Right. Yeah, but but this definitely... Now, my thing now is because the last issue ended with Gary and Isis. And, yeah. and they're And doing, they're doing something, okay? So, and what they're doing appears to be mostly f- involving the Federation and, um, and the Tholians. But, so, is this a total B story or like an episode, an, a standalone episode bit? Right. Or does this have anything to do with what uh, ISIS and Gary are doing? I, I don't know. I think it's just a side story that... Okay. Uh, kind of like the whole president thing. The, when Spock became president of that planet, that oh, had right. nothing to do with Kirk with getting main... shot in the head on the first issue. <laughs> it's just like, there's a lot of stuff going on, and exactly. they're, yeah. not, they're not giving it to you all the way. Right. Right. Okay. So but yeah, uh, I, I, it was a big drop. Gary Seven's involved, and then the next issue, he's not even shown at all. They say nothing. They say nothing about it. Boy, you give us a hook like that, and you give us nothing in the next issue? Oh, my gosh. So. I do know that Isis is on the cover of ten? issue... Uh, not 10. Uh, I saw it on an issue. Maybe like okay. 13 or 14. So you might have to wait a while more to find out what's going oh, on. Okay. okay. And with the COVID crisis, all comic books are, were kind of stopped for a while. Mm-hmm. So uh, 10 came out in January, 
and it's now May, and we haven't had uh, 11 yet. Right. Well, with electronic distribution, I think I might have said this before, with electronic distribution and, uh, you know, most of the stuff being done on computers, uh, I would think a lot, many points of uh, non-paper-involved publication could still happen, but although slowed up, but I guess right. we'll find but, out. But you want to release it in paper and print. Yeah. I mean, paper and digital at the same time, so that... Well, is this another thing that is just hastening the demise of uh, physical media? Right, which I think is why they didn't release them digitally first. Because oh, okay. if they did, then... People I, get yeah, too used to not having People the, would get the used books. to it, and then paper would be dead. Which, again, it's just... It's hastening something that's happening anyway. I mean, what's the last comic, physical comic book you bought? It's been a little while for me. Uh, I bought one the other day. Okay. I, I've been buying the but DC most of our comics hundred page giants. <sighs> cool. Because for whatever reason they don't release those digitally. Now, if they released those digitally, I would have bought them digitally. But there I... you go. Yep. Okay. Anyway. So yeah, you're right. So the last thing I want to mention about this issue, though, is I like when they're in the hangar bay, getting ready to come down, uh, Spock and his party. And they end up getting into the Sagan 5. So that was the Gal- that was the shuttlecraft. Although the Galileo, you can see the Galileo 7. Uh, it's in the hangar bay. But they, they take down the Sagan. Uh, I assume named after Carl Sagan. So that was kind of cool. Kind of mixing it up a little bit, shuttle-wise. Now, was the Carl Sagan in the in the show at all? No. What, in Taz? Oh, yeah. No. I mean, Sagan didn't... Yeah. Didn't Sagan become more noteworthy in the 80s? I don't know. Yeah, I think, I don't... If Sagan was around in the 60s, uh, you know, as a, sci- you know, a scientist and not, like, a student or something at that time, uh, I don't think he made his... Uh, I don't think he was known yet. Okay. But the idea of taking a 20th century um, astrophysicist and uh, and and naming a shuttlecraft after him, like they did with what 1600s, 1500s. What when was Galileo around? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. Um, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. I did not catch that, but that is cool. Yeah, well, I, I didn't either until, you know, you were doing your synopsis, and I was just kind of, like, going through the, the comic, and I did notice, huh, that doesn't say Galileo. Let me look closer. Sagan! I think that's Sagan. It's very hard to read, but I right. think it's Sagan. Okay. It looks like it, now that yeah. you mentioned Anyway. What yeah. else you got? What else you got? I have nothing. That's it. Okay, well, I'm, uh, you know, obviously there's a, a, an uncomfortable situation to be resolved here with the, uh, with the fish and dry land people, and then we got to get back to, eventually, to, uh, to uh, the main story with Gary and the Tholians. So, uh, what are we going to do, Donovan? What are we going to do that next? Well, I don't know when we're finally going to get to the Tholians, but, because um, I haven't read these stories, but we have two, two year fives left. And then we're completely caught up. So With what's been uh, published so far. With what's been published up to date. So we have uh, issue 10. And then they also came out with a Valentine's Day special. 
So we'll <laughs> do that one as well. Yeah, and I haven't read it, but I've kind of thumbed through it electronically. And it's so weird that they would decide to just have a totally on-the-side Star Trek story. It's almost like a waypoint. Um, you know, well, kind you, of, we, we kind don't of put here. Yeah, that's what we think. We haven't actually read it. Well, I haven't yeah. read it all yet, but I mean, yeah. I mean, Kirk's... Well, okay, so I didn't look through the entire book. But through the, the pages I did look at, Kirk's off on his own uh, with this... Uh, New young lovely. And he's in love. He's in love. And then she happens to be a captain or something? Yeah, that's all I'll say. We'll see. Uh, but yes, yes, it's interesting. That's cool. So they, so somebody had this idea, and uh, I guess they decided, hey, we're doing year five. Let's, let's stick it here. Right. Yep, so, looking forward to it. Yeah. And we'll see. Uh, we'll see. If it fits in with the overall story or if it's completely one-off. Right. My vote is one-off, but who, who knows? Who knows? My my vote, too. I just think it's kind of cool that they did a Valentine's Day special. Yeah. Well, why not? You know, a little love story. A little Kirk love story. Exactly. He doesn't, Maybe, get, a, he doesn't get enough of those. Right. Well, I mean, he has lots of... Uh, this is going to sound bad, but uh, conquests, you know, oh, liaisons. Oh, but. But. You know, the only time it's really shown him in love was was Carol Marcus. So, or the only time you really felt well, like, or oh, in a uh, Daner from the past. Exactly. Yep. So those are the only two that seem to have repercussions in later stories. You know, where he thinks back on those two. Right. So it'll be kind of cool if if what if there was another one that we just don't know about yet. Exactly. Then I guess we may we may be uh, let in on that little facet of Kirk's life history. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it'll be next week, next issue, or next episode, three, what, 20? Are we up to 320? We're up to 320. Nice. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to you next week. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, stcomic, second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.